again. Uh, if you're uh, part of our small group leaders, uh, this is uh, session two here. But uh, I did want to start out this morning. Where's, uh, well, they're back in the back. Ben and Brian, these guys are absolutely phenomenal. We rolled in at 8 o'clock this morning, and this stuff was set up and ready to go. And, uh, you know, I wish I had monster stock with the amount of uh, monster, cans of monster I see around whenever I see these guys. But, uh, you know, I, just kind of the unsung heroes. I mean, they, they've got all this equipment that they pick up and cart around. And uh, I, I just, again, guys, always on it, consistent, on time, early. Um, Really appreciate all you do in a huge way. Then, of course, our worship team, Brian and Dessa, helped putting all this together. And I don't know if you guys saw Mark Randall, man. Was he banging on the keys this morning or what? Bro, you were going after it. Yes, you. Mark? He didn't hear me. <laughs> Wait, is this how we're starting out? <laughs> anyway, uh, we had a great time last night. How many of you were at the party last night? I appreciate that as well as obviously engaging here this morning. Some of you may be a little worn out. My, my legs are kind of shot from the last couple of days, and part of that's the gym too. But uh, I've been training Jackie as of late, and we've been doing these uh, lunges with kettlebells, which I hate. But uh, anyway, just one other uh, little reminder for our small group leaders. We had a book for you to add to your tool bo- toolbox coming off of the uh, beginning of the year. Those are in the back. Feel free to pick up a copy. No homework assignment, just... Uh, Something that Jackie and I wanted to do for you. Well, thinking this through, I am second. That's an exciting title, right? That's exactly how I feel about it. (laughs) I am second bacon truck. I mean, one definitely kind of gets the juices going a little bit there. And, you know, I I think there's a reason for that. Just really thinking through. Uh, Part of it is just kind of our upbringing, who we are, uh, the emphasis that we see on so many different fronts. Uh, if you're in sports, how does I am second sound? Not, not, not really exciting, right? Um, if you're in the workplace and uh, somebody gets promoted over you and you're in that second slot, how does that feel? And then even in school today, I mean, we know what colleges look for. We know what the emphasis is. I thought I had it going on with a 3.9 average through high school. Uh, it was a 3.2 in college, uh, you know, got a little tougher. I, I can't believe some of these kids today. What, what do you think the highest GPA is that you can have in school today? It's depending on the school, 4.8 or 5. And what that consists of is, you know, AP and IB, honors classes. I mean, if there, you have honors classes all the way through, you can actually pull off a 5.0 GPA. It's like, are you kidding me? And, you know, but that's the emphasis today. And just looking at the world in so many fronts, the world programs us to be first no matter what the cost is. And it's amazing how quickly it starts out. Um, I'm trying to think, whose baby was it the other day? Oh, uh, Stuart Nashley, little L. I mean, she's already programmed to train mom and dad that she's number one. I mean, it was just wild, this situation, and it's something that's in our DNA. From the time that we're babies, we're programming our parents. Then we slip into different things in the workplace, school, but in some ways, in the fallen state that we live in, selfishness is definitively part of our character. Now, I've got a couple of quotes this morning that I thought might be a little interesting when it comes to places in life. 
Uh, there's an author by the name of Doris Lessing that says, there's only one real sin, and that is to persuade oneself that second best is anything but second best. Uh, Dale Earnhardt, second place is the first place loser. Loser! Gay Paul, baseball. There's no such thing as second place. Either you're first or you're nothing. Ty Cobb. I could never stand loser. And I can imagine this guy saying he was gruff. He had some issues. There was a lot going on here. I could never stand losing. Second place doesn't interest me. I had a fire in my belly. I mean, this guy, anything other than winning was, you know, I mean, he was kind of a scary guy. But anyway. We'll tone it down a little bit. This is from William C. Bryant, poet. Again, the guilty flee when no one pursue. This is the second time today. I love you, Brian. Come on. Winning isn't everything, but it beats anything in second place. That's from a poet. And again, this is how we're programmed. So with that kind of an updated version of something that uh, some of you re may remember from Abbott and Costello... But uh, let's, let's give this video a look. Oh! I tell you, Jimmy, you know what I love, Jimmy? I love baseball. When we get to St. Louis, will you tell me the guys' names on the team so when I see them in that big St. Louis ballpark, I'll be able to know those fellas. All right. But, you know, strange as it may seem, they give these ballplayers nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names. Nicknames, pet names. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I'm trying to find out. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the fellow's name? Yes. And who's playing first? Yes. I mean the fellow on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who's on first? Why are you asking me for? I'm not asking you, I'm telling you who is on first. You guys talking about me? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, we are. This is who? How should I know? I never met the guy. Well, now you've met him. Met who? Yes. Look, would you tell me your name? Who? You. Who? Him. Me? Yes. Who? Mm. What is your name? No, no, no. What's on second? This is who? That's what I'm trying to find out. All right, calm down, will you? Okay, listen. When I say hello to this fellow right here, I'm saying hello to who? Hello, nice to meet you. See, now you're starting to get it. Get what? I'm right here. And who are you? I'm who. What? Yes. Ugh. Who's this fella? No, who is that fella? I am who. Who am I? How am I supposed to know? What's your name? Now, what is his name? I'm not asking you what his name is. I'm asking you, who is this fella right here? That's right. But what's his name? What is my name? You don't know your name. Of course I do. Well, then tell me. What? Your name. What? What's wrong with this guy? Who? What? Yes. Oh, I think he's got a hearing problem. Who? What? Yes. Look. Can't you see him talking to him? Who? What? Who? What? Who? What? Who? What? Boys, boys, settle down. Now then, I'm glad that's all cleared up. He's who and what's his name? I don't know. All right, gentlemen, I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. Look, 
It's very simple. This fella's actual name is who? W-H-O. And this fella's actual given birth name is what? W-H-A-T. Well, that clears it up. Why did you just say that in the first place? But wait, who are you? I don't know. Phoenix! Sometimes that's how confusing it can get. And I think as disciples, we, we need to make sure this is an area of our lives where there is extreme clarity. Who's on first? God. God is first. God is first whether we decide to put him first or not. It's the long and short of it. God makes the rules. God doesn't need us, but this is the thing that just absolutely blows my mind. We were created to have a relationship with God. You know, people may ask, well, who made God? Well, the answer is no one. And this is, this is one of the things that I love about being outdoors and creation, you know, thinking through the interaction that God has with Job and Job 38 and following. You know, when Job kind of got a little sketchy and had some a little confusion going on, and God just kind of stand up and, you know, stand up like a man. We're going to have a little chat. You know, where were you when I laid the boundaries for the sea? Where were you when I lifted the mountains out of the valleys? Where were you? What were you doing? Do you have any understanding of any of these things? And it really helps put it in perspective for me. Who made God? No one. But with that, God wants us to trust him. He wants us to have that heart of a child where we're amazed, where we just look at what we've been blessed with and not even getting into what Christ has done for us. But when we make that segue and look at what Jesus has done for us personally, there should be even that much more amazement. And just that embracing of I am second, God is first. God knows all things, sees all things. God has all the power. There's only one God. But this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these three persons are equally God. And they're totally distinct from each other. But knowing that as we became Christians, we were baptized and our sins were forgiven, that we've got the Holy Spirit residing within us, God in us, 24-7. This is amazing. God made everything. Yet with that, God's not the universe. God created the universe. We've got one more short little video clip this morning that I want us to look at. But before we do that, I just want to read you a quote. Just kind of keep this in mind as this sets up the video. Ralph Waldo Emerson once asked what we would do if the stars only came out once every thousand years. Think about that for a minute. I mean, it just, you know, it shows how we can take things for granted. But in the city, sometimes it's not always the easiest. We've got all this city lights and things that kind of bleed it on out. But how many of you have ever been out in the middle of nowhere where there's no city lights? And you look up. I mean, it's almost overwhelming. You know, the, the, that there is actually a Milky Way and you can see it. And, and that, that, that white patch of light is just this incredible concentration of planets, stars. I mean, it's amazing. So really think that through. What if the stars were only visible one time in a thousand years? No one would sleep that night, of course. The world would become religious overnight. We would be ecstatic, delirious made rapturous by the glory of God. Instead, the stars come out every night, and we watch television. God of grace and glory.
the story opens like this. In case you forgot, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was Light, And that was a phenomenal moment when that happened, because light came out of the mouth of God, traveling 186,000 miles a second. There's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. But what I want you to see about it is how big it is. It's 93 million miles away. So when you're looking up in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second. It's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth. And that matters to us tonight. When you hear what the psalmist said, listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either. So let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair? Maybe give them 15 feet in diameter. So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15 foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15 foot in diameter sun. It's a massive star and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. I love science. And science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this? Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh wow, if the earth were a golf ball... Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet. And I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths 
inside Canis Majoris. That's enough earth if the earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system. But as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth. That's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, Wusifi. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe who is there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. I don't know about you, but just kind of thinking that through every time I see this, it just. There are so many different emotions that I go through. The fact that God would be cognizant of me. 
I mean, there are times where the, the idea of even being second, do I want to be that close? <laughs> Realizing what an incredibly powerful God that we have. And it's just amazing that with all that, with what we've just seen, God is also a personal being. We have a relationship with God. God is love. And he demonstrated it at the cross for us. You know, because of his infinite love, this ginormous God came down in the flesh to give us the opportunity to enter into a right relationship with God. And then God fills us with his Holy Spirit, and we become his child, clothed in Christ. And we're clothed in Christ, he doesn't see us any differently than he sees his own son. Because we are represented before him pure and blameless, without a blemish. That's an amazing God. You know, and I think the thing that's so incredible about this, too, is that knowing who we are and what we just witnessed on the screen, that God would be willing to come down and occupy a body like ours. So he'd be able to identify completely with every single thing we've ever experienced, every emotion, every misery of mankind. And then, to take it to the next level, he took on the punishment for each and every one of us, for me, for you, on the cross. And you think about the wrath of God in context with again what we just saw. I can't even imagine what that wrath would look like. But Jesus took on that wrath. He satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. Just as he predicted, though, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And if you trust Jesus and what took place on that cross for you, that you'll be forgiven. So also know that we'll be transformed into the likeness of Christ before God. We'll be given a new life. And you become a child of God. You know, really understanding here, becoming second means recognizing and accepting God is first. And I, and I love what we're experiencing here together right now. So we're, we're all thinking this through. Uh, there's an acknowledgement in this room as to how awesome and mighty and huge and powerful God is. And again, he knows each and every one of us. He has a relationship with each and every one. It's so hard to get your mind around, but it's exciting to know that this God is our God. This God is my God. You know, we, uh, you know how it is when you're at school, you know, well, my dad can kick your dad's butt, blah, blah, blah. Isn't that the dad you want? <laughs> I mean, think that through. It's so awesome. And just really thinking, it, taking it to the next level here, living an I am second life takes a relationship with God that fully entrusts him with all that we are, all that we have, every single aspect of our life. You know, I think it's that believing and trusting in Jesus and accepting him for who he is and what he did, this is the thing that will give us the ability to step aside and step out of that first place position that we strive for in so many different aspects of our lives. There's a sense of peace that we experience when we make that decision that I am second. And thank God, God is first. It's a decision. 
You know, I know for me, when I decided to start studying the Bible, and I made the decision to get baptized into Christ, there was an acknowledgement for me that was hard to admit, but it's something that I think we all probably face at one point in time, and that's the fact that when I am first, I am broken. I am so broken based on not having God in my life, the direction that God gives me. And the thing that I know as a guy I, I can lose sight of sometimes, and that's the love that God has for me personally. Yeah. See, none of us are without failures. None of us are without mistakes, pride or selfishness or any of those things. And then ultimately realizing that sin separates us from God. And with that, there comes punishment. According to Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. And really thinking that through, because of sin, everyone will face judgment when they die. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27 that people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. But God doesn't judge on whether someone did more right or wrong or the type of sin. It's just anything that wasn't right with what God has established. And to know that that same God we saw on the screen offers forgiveness for all of our sins. He offers forgiveness through our faith. He offers forgiveness through Christ. But it's got to start with that admission of guilt, and that admission of guilt is the thing that enables us to be surrendered to God being first and us being second. It's a willingness to start going God's way rather than our own way. And it's our admitting that we are in need of help. And again, I think women are sometimes much more in touch with this as guys. We think, you know, we got it going on. We can push through. We can make it work. It doesn't matter. We'll get it done. And I think that can, that can slip back into our lives, even as Christian men. We can start to push God aside and start to think that we can actually compete for him, with him for that first place position. See, it's that admission of our need for God and God's help. This is the thing that allows us to generate family. This is the thing that allows us to generate unity. This is the thing that allows us, for those of us that are married, to put our spouse first. For those of us with kids, to put our kids first. Because it's so non what the world demonstrates for us to do. You know, in the first lesson today, I talked about it being this whole being second thing is anti-American. You know, Andre came up and had a little chat with me and you know, this is, it's amazing to know that this is how jacked up our society has gotten. You know, even for me to make a statement like that, really, it's not anti-American. What was, American found, what was America founded on? Our, our colleges were what? They were Christian colleges. And it's amazing how far removed from what our founding fathers established we've gotten. But, again, just really thinking through... And remembering every day when we wake up, God's the same. But we can shrink him down. We can lose sight of what an amazing, powerful God we serve. You know, Matthew 22, we talked about it a lot last year. What's the greatest commandment? All your heart, soul, strength, and mind. We know the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And really thinking that through with what Jesus states there, it means that Jesus is first. It's not about us. It's not about our good deeds. It's not about our religion. It's not about our church. It's not about who any of us are, what any of us do. It's what Jesus is and what he did. You know, Jesus understood first and foremost, before God, he was second. 
And so that, that just amazes me that he would come down out of heaven and take this on so we could have a relationship with him. So we need to remember this. For us, when God and Jesus are first, what does being second look like? Well, Philippians 2, verse 3. Go ahead and turn there, if you will. The whole chapter is just amazing, really, when you get right down to it, as to who God is. In verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, if I am second, the interest of others is first. That is so counterintuitive. But that's what God wants. That's what God demands. That's what God demonstrated on the cross. If I am second, when I'm out and about, realizing that there are needy on so many different fronts, whether it's those that are not as fortunate as we are, that are impoverished. But I think really understanding that poverty can come in a couple of different forms. There's physical poverty and there's spiritual poverty. And for me personally, I think when it comes to the condition of the world, spiritual poverty so, so, on so many fronts encompasses each and every person until you're willing to get surrendered to Christ. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus, coming down off the mountain after preaching the uh, Beatitudes, we see him serving and serving and serving and serving, healing, raising the dead, just so many incredible miracles. And that there is that need to meet the physical need before we really can really engage with people on a spiritual need. But, you know, that's not where we live. That's not where we're dealing with. We turn on a spigot and we have water. We open a refrigerator and we have food. And I think we, we can lose sight of the fact that we live in a spiritually impoverished community. We live in a community that's dying spiritually. So if I'm really second, what does that look like? The fact that every disciple is needed to reach the lost and the lonely, the shut-ins, the helpless, the hungry, the cold, the sinful, the discouraged. And, and our community is full of these people. And then taking from our cities to the country and to the world. But, you know, I think in some ways we've lost that world vision. We need to get that back. But really where it starts is right here at home. You know, if we're second, we'll be out visiting, helping, transporting, listening, sharing, feeding, clothing, mentoring, teaching, discipling. And first and foremost, within our own relationships here. Husbands and wives with one another. Our children, making a difference there. And I'm so excited again about what we've seen taking place in our small groups with our midweek devotionals. You know, developing a rhythm, getting comfortable with it, getting the kids excited about it. And ultimately what that means for eternity with our children. You know, in Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus and he said to them, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. It's not a passage a lot of churches preach. It's not a comfortable passage. But it's a passage that guarantees us peace. It's a passage that guarantees us salvation. And it's a passage that guarantees us a life of impact. If I am second, the cross is first. You know, what keeps us from allowing God or Jesus to be number one in our lives? And there are so many things that, that are constantly flirting with our attention. 
the Goliaths in our lives, the, the past Goliaths. Maybe it's something that you overcame, but it's, it's sneaking back into the mix and it's haunting you today. Maybe Goliath is visiting with you right here today. Maybe there's a Goliath that has taken up residence in your home. We've all experienced this. Challenges in the marriage, challenges with a kid. And it's amazing how those situations can take us off course and forget the God we just saw moments ago on the screen who created all that. And if he could do all that, it's amazing. I do this. I lose sight of the impact that God can have in my life. And I start to marginalize and I start to pull back. And I appreciate what Andy stated here earlier. Even even the, the, the mindset of John the Baptist when Jesus hit the scene. You know, I, I look back and, you know, I've, I don't even know that I've necessarily qualified what took place in the East region the right way. You know, you can justify, you know, oh, it's politics, you know, church politics, it's this, it's that, it's the other. But you know what? The way that I allowed that to slip into my life as a Goliath and the sin that I ushered back into my life during that period of time was absolutely unexcusable. There was absolutely no reason for it. What it shows me today is that there wasn't that degree of trust in the God that we've seen and what he can create. I want to read an excerpt from a, a book entitled Unleashed. It says, for many of us, our past mistakes loom as large as Goliath. No matter what we do, no matter how many times we say we're sorry, no matter how many Bible verses we read or how many worship songs we sing, our past always seems to be there, towering over us like a large enemy we just can't figure out how to bring down. Picks up in uh, 1 Samuel 1, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 17, verse 8. It reads, Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm a Philistine champion. First place, right? But you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him... You will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. This had to, this is still out of the book Unleashed. This had to be frustrating for the Israelites to say the least. God had set them free from slavery in Egypt hundreds of years before, and yet in this story we see them under the thumb of another enemy, the Philistines. This enemy was manipulative and intimidating, and on top of all that, loud. The Israelites must have become so obsessed with Goliath's taunts and insults that they could no longer hear the voice of God. This happens to us as well, doesn't it? Not only is it our past large and intimidating, but it also yells at us constantly, reminding us of our shortcomings, and telling us we can never live an unleashed life because of all the mistakes we've made. I've learned from a personal experience that one of the quickest ways to forget what God says about me is to focus on what the enemy says about me. If we want to be unleashed, if we want to live the abundant life Jesus promised, then we can't allow what used to defeat us to define us. I think that's worth reading again. It says, if we want to be unleashed, if we want to live the abundant life that Jesus promised, then we can't allow what used to defeat us to define us. I don't know about you, I am so grateful to God that it doesn't define us. 
that through the waters of baptism, Jesus Christ defines us. You know, that may be who we were, but it's not who we are in Christ. We want to truly be second. What it gets down to is really making sure that we put Jesus Christ first. You know, I look at the areas of my life from the past that used to define me. Anger, pornography, lack of self-control, both physically, with my mouth, just in so many different areas. And it's humbling to think back through those things, but it's so incredibly exciting to know that is not who God sees in me. Goliath doesn't define me. Jesus Christ does. You know, if we want to live the abundant life that Jesus promised, again, we cannot allow what used to define, or excuse me, defeat us, define us. That's simply not who we are anymore. If we've gone through the waters of baptism, we've understood who we were surrendering to, and ultimately, when we made Jesus Lord, isn't that what we were saying? I am second. We surrendered. We surrendered to His Lordship, which means He's first. And with all of our past, that may be who we were, but sometimes we can slip back into it. But we've got to understand that is not who we are. That is not who we are in Christ. All that changed when Jesus made himself second at the cross. And the thing that's is so encouraging, we've got to hold on to this, is that in Christ we are completely changed and we are completely forgiven. Second Corinthians 4, verse 5. So as you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, have you ever been to, uh, any of you business professionals, ever been to a business mixer? Any of you? A few hands? What usually takes place at those? Yeah, drinking. (laughs) But isn't it all about self? You know, I mean, I've done this, I've done that, I made this, you know, this is what my bank, bank account looked like last year. Here's my degrees, this is my title. You know, and then trying to get in there and do some networking and whatnot. But it's all about name dropping, who you know, who you are, what you've done. What we see here in 2 Corinthians 4 is that's not what it's about at all. It's about Jesus. It always has been, it always will be, always needs to be fully about God who in Christ came to earth, was born as a baby in full humanity, and who later died on a cross for our sins. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the message of Jesus right here is simple, and it's summarized in this passage. Verse 1, it says, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you, that you received it, and you've taken it, and you stand on it. You are saved by it. But there's a condition. If you do what? If you hold to the message proclaimed to you. Unless you believe for no purpose, for I passed on to you is the most important of what I also received. And that is Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the foundation of our faith is so incredible and that it's based on this historic event. The cross. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 reads, Paul wrote, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But we know that's not the case. 
We have a risen Lord that we serve. In Galatians 1 verse, 3, uh, 1, verse 3, this is encouraging. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I cannot believe this. It's so hard to understand why God would do what he did. And that may be sometimes why we lose faith. That, that may be sometimes why we don't trust the way we did when we first hit the waters of baptism. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who did what again? Unbelievable. Gave himself for our sins. Gave himself for our sins. To rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus was willing to be second. The great I am, second. Because he always had this mindset that he would overcome sin. He was able to do the will of the Father. Jesus understood what it needed, what actually needed to take place and what it took to be second. You know, Matthew 7, verse 21 reads, Only those who deal with the will of the Father will enter the kingdom. And then again, in Matthew 12, verse 50, Jesus talking about his own family members who thought he was crazy, who came to take him away, states here the most significant thing that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, that only those who do the will of the Father belong to God. Only those who do the will of the Father are Jesus' brother, sister, mother, father. See, we've got to understand everything, every single thing we do is made better when we are second. Second to God, second to his purpose, which has to become our purpose. Second to the cross. You know, with people, when they look and they see what God sees, prayerfully with us as his ambassadors, what they'll see is they'll see Jesus. Thinking that through, why is God able to see Jesus in us? It's because Jesus put God first. Jesus was willing to become second. And it's so amazing to me that by Jesus becoming second, he put us first. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for communion. Father, just even sitting here walking through these scriptures and thinking about what has just come out of my mouth today, it's so amazing that you're cognizant of us. So amazing that you want a relationship with us, with everything that you've created, the immensity of what you created. To, to realize, as Lee Giglio put it, that to be able to put a, a Sharpie on that screen, it wouldn't represent the size of the earth, or actually our sun in relationship to those other suns. It's just so amazing. You are an awesome God. Father, I pray that I can remember this each morning that I wake up. And on those mornings that I don't, there will be a brother or sister there to, to point it out to me that I've lost sight of my first love that I've pulled back from the commitment that I originally made when I decided to surrender to you and become second through the waters of baptism. Father, thank you so much for your son who uh, was so exemplary in this, giving us this incredible example that we can pattern our own lives after. 
a selfless life that was a life of impact, was a life of purpose, knowing that, God, you give us the ability to have just that in our lives today. Thank you for Christ. I pray that we never lose sight of the sacrifice that took place for us, that I know that none of us can really fathom the, the reasoning behind it. But, God, we're so grateful that you want a relationship with us. And as we head into 2014, I, I pray that we can take the time to assess our lives, really ask ourselves, am I in a right relationship with God? Am I second, allowing God to be first, knowing the implications that holds for my life, our lives, the lives of those that we come into contact with on a daily basis? Father, again, thank you for Jesus and everything that he was willing to endure so that we, come judgment day, will be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.